Blog Talk Radio. Thirteenth, which is not always a positive for most. Uh, we are almost now in the middle of April, which is just crazy at how fast time. The good thing is, it is a beautiful day in New York, something that we have not had a lot of at all. Uh, a beautiful weekend, about seventy-five degrees in New York today, and eighty tomorrow. So. Baseball gets underway for the Little League, and everybody's outside, windows down, blasting their music. It's good to feel that springtime energy. And my name is Ryan Berger, taking you through the next hour of the Inside the Burger Shop podcast, which is the discussion at the intersection of sports, entertainment, marketing, culture, and and much more. Um, we're Really excited. We have a really fun show today with uh, three guests, which is the most guests we've ever had on a show. Um, we had a lot of fun last week with two shows back-to-back. Again, thanks to Jason Birnbaum for coming on and doing a Masters preview. Of course, it was an incredible Masters on Sunday. Came down to the 18th Hall, Patrick Reed winning his first green jacket. So we had a great run with uh, the Tim Thomas from... Villanova and Philadelphia 76ers and the Knicks and as well a bunch of other teams. He came on and did a thing on Nova and their incredible win on Tuesday, the day after the national championship. And then we had Jason on Wednesday to talk about the Masters. Um, So, you know, a great sort of run in sports when you think about the Masters, 
the Final Four, and then, of course, the beginning of the NBA playoffs and the NHL playoffs. And it's been an incredibly fun week to think about what's going on with the NBA. Of course, an incredible uh, last night of the season, which was just incredibly remarkable. Lots of activity going on throughout the league. Of course, the play-in game between the Timberwolves uh, and the Nuggets, which went to overtime. You can't ask for much more of your you know, Adam Silver. So we will talk to a bunch of different guests throughout the show. Uh, we will talk in just about one or two minutes to Oliver Maroney. Oliver is one of the lead basketball writers at Dime Magazine. He also hosts the Big Three show, and of course we'll talk to him about what's going on with the Big Three, and they had a big night last night with their draft, and Indiana University legend Andre Owens being drafted first. We will then speak to uh, the mouth of the South, Joe Schwartz, uh, who is probably down uh, somewhere on the beach in Boca, getting ready for his Philadelphia 76ers uh, to start tomorrow night at 8 o'clock. We'll get a sense of sort of what's going on in Philly between championship after championship and, of course, the incredible momentum that the Sixers have, uh, led by uh, Ben Simmons and, of course, uh, Joel Embiid. And hopefully Joel is getting healthy. It would be a shame for him to miss out in this playoff run. And then we'll speak to uh, Papa Burger, my dad, who will be making his first appearance on the podcast, Nick's season ticket holder for a long time, frustrated fan, um, and we'll get a sense of his thoughts after the Knicks have got rid of uh, Jeffrey Hornacek uh, on the sideline and his thoughts on the season overall um, and if who, who he would like to see uh, in that coaching search. So it should be a fun show, a packed show. And before we bring Oliver on, I want to quickly uh, say thanks to our par- founding partner, uh, Hyper Brands, uh, H-Y-P-R-Brands.com. Hyper is the leader in celebrity and influencer intelligence with over 12 million influencers on Hyper. Check out HyperBrands.com. For any influencer or celebrity you might think of working with, identify them based on their audience demographics, follower count, engagement, and, of course, their contact information so you can connect directly with anybody you'd like. Hyperbrands.com, the world's largest search engine for influencers. And as I said today, we're really excited to be joined by Oliver Maroney. Oliver's making his first appearance on Inside the Burger Shop. We're really excited to have Oliver on today. Oliver, welcome to Inside the Burger Shop. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Great, man. Excited to have you on. I know it's a little early in Portland where you are. Uh, where you make your home. So we're going to sort of fire a bunch of questions at you about some of the stuff you're working on and, and the league and the big three, and then we'll get into sort of a playoff preview and go through uh, sort of each individual series. Before we get into that, tell the audience a little bit about what you do, um, how you ended up at Dime, and, of course, you know, let's, let's sort of start there. Yeah, I mean, I've been writing about basketball since I was in middle school. And I uh, started as a high school basketball reporter as, like, I think I was seventh grade or eighth grade uh, at the local paper, the Oregonian. Uh, covered a bunch of really you know, talented players at the time. Uh, Oregon high school basketball was probably at its peak. So there was guys like Kevin Love and Terrence Jones and Terrence Ross and 
just to name a few, EJ Kyle Singler. I mean, there's, there's a bunch of them in there, but that was like the golden era of Oregon high school basketball. So I kind of lucked out in that sense and got to meet a lot of those guys, know those guys. And um, that's how I got into kind of the NBA stuff is, you know, watching them progress and grow from the college game to the pros. And um, from there, it just kind of uh, escalated to just more NBA basketball talk and you know and now i'm here at dime and uh yeah try and cover the league as best i can uh typically long form kind of stories and articles profiles on specific players uh you know draft prospects um i'm huge on just having a different sort of uh niche of story i'm not here to talk about stats or um you know who wins the mvp sort of arguments as far as uh articles go I'm happy to voice my opinion on Twitter and social media on that sort of stuff, but typically my articles are profiles of guys and kind of how they became who they've become, who, who they've become and what they hope to do, um, you know, try and find different angles of the story. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's where I'm at. So I also host the Big Three show. Uh, the Big Three obviously started by Ice Cube, and uh, it's been really fun to do that. Did it season one, um, planning on doing it again season two. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to another good season. Is that a television show or is that online? What's the story with that? Yeah. Where where can you access that? Yeah, so that's on the Big Three website. Um, it's also on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, all that sort of stuff. Uh, you know, mo- it's basically a podcast. You can listen to it at any time. It's once a week to twice a week. We try and profile all the players in the Big Three. So, Inter- long form kind of interviews. We're talking like 45 to 60 minutes with, um, you know, we had, I don't know, Bonzi Wells and uh, Michael Rappaport and a bunch of other guys on last year. And we just, we just uh, basically talk about, you know, how they became, who they become, where they started, why they're in the big three, and then kind of look at the matchups and, and week to week kind of uh, occurrences in the big three as well. You know, it's interesting, Oliver, you bring up Bonzi Wells and, you know, that Portland team was really fun that he was a part of. In fact, our next guest, uh, Joe Schwartz, was a big fan of that team with uh, J.R. Ryder and, and Sheed and all those guys that sort of were, you know, were in that crew. You know, let's start with, with, with the West and obviously, you know, some of the teams that are out there. Um, there's a lot of talent out there and a lot of, sort of you know, noise that could be made in the first round. I think it's interesting. Normally the first round is always a real shoe in and the real action begins in round two. But when you look at round one out West, you know, there's obviously a lot of stuff that could happen. You know, with the one, eight game, the Rockets and Timberwolves. And what I'll do is I'll sort of throw you the matchup. Maybe you can talk about it for however long you need and then maybe give us a prediction as far as the who you think is going to win and how, how many games it will be. So, you know, first matchup, we're looking at the, the top team in the league right now, the Houston Rockets, incredible season, uh, you know, not a great playoff record at all for D'Antoni and Harden. Uh, they have they've they've not done very well at all um, in the playoffs. Obviously, a big injury to Luke Biamatu Mute Mute. 
which you know is a is a tough one with how they defend how he defends, and then you get Minnesota, who obviously speaking of defense brings in the best defensive coach in the in the league, Jimmy Butler, who I'm sure will be all over Harden in that series. They won an incredible game you know the other night as I talked about before against the Nuggets. What do you see in that in that series? How much sort of opportunistic do you give the Timberwolves themselves? Yeah, I don't give them much of a chance. I think this is the only one that I feel very confident in picking the Houston Rockets in either four or five games. I know Minnesota hasn't been there in a very long time. Uh, look, they've got some depth. They've got some very good players. We saw them play against Denver, and I was very impressed with just kind of their role players. Andrew Wiggins came up with a huge big play, big plays late in the game, a good couple passes, made some clutch free throws. Todd Gibson played phenomenal defense on Jokic down the stretch. Um, they do have some players that can make plays. I just personally feel like the Houston Rockets are one step above just about every team in the NBA right now. And I think this Minnesota team is really going to get hurt by this dynamic backcourt and Chris Paul and James Harden, coupled with, you know, the defensive versatility that Houston still possesses without Luka and Baumute. I mean, P.J. Tucker has been one of their best players all season, very consistent, uh, great defensive presence. And then Clint Capella has been silently a great rim protector for them. And he's been great on offense in the pick and roll. On defense, he's doing the exact same thing. One of the most efficient bigs in the game. I just think, look, Houston is going to prove to people that they can play in the playoffs. Um, And I think the reason they're going to prove that is you look at the pace of play that they play with now. Uh, Last year, it was pick up the pace. It was, you know, the less than eight seconds kind of D'Antoni, typical Suns kind of uh, formula uh, a lot of the time. Um, But this season, they've been able to slow it down in quarters. Like when they want to change the pace, they will change the pace. And they dictate how they play against opponents. Uh, Even against the Warriors, they dictated the, the run of play in the third and fourth quarters a lot of the time. And I think that's what's most impressive about this team is a guy like Chris Paul who can slow down the offense, operate that system, and find open guys or create shots on his own. I just think their dynamics are just one step above everybody. And like I said, the pace of play is going to really help them in this series. I I think it's a sweep or potentially Minnesota gets one at home. Hmm. Interesting. And, you know, your point on – Taj Gibson's defense is right on the money. Uh, you know, I love Jokic, and I really wanted to see the Nuggets get there. But one of the things that was very, very clear was the last five minutes of the of regulation and overtime, Jokic was pushed around all over the court, uh, including the last play, which Mike Malone got him a decent potential look, got him an open lane, and he was pushed all the way out into the corner before he was eventually stripped. So I, I imagine Jokic, who had a fantastic year and is clearly the best passing big in the league, and maybe the best passing big I've seen in the league in a really, really long time. Uh, But he needs to go back and get much stronger because he let a guy in Gibson who, you know, let's face it, he's not the greatest player, but he's been, you know, around the league a long time. He bodied Jokic up to the point that he took him completely out of the game in the biggest five minutes of his career. Yeah, no no doubt about it. I mean, it it was as impressive of a defensive performance as I've seen all season long. Uh, just that five-minute stretch. I mean, just the way that he handled Jokic, who, look, he was on a tear previous to that game, and he still played great. I think he had a triple-double in the game, played well. Yeah, 35 and 10, 35 and 10. Yeah, exactly. Had a heck of a game, but it was overshadowed by that defensive performance by Gibson. And I think 
I think I even tweeted this. I, I think kids will look at that and maybe we'll start playing a little bit more defense. But uh, that, honestly, that was a very motivational defensive effort. And I think uh, Minnesota can walk away very satisfied, especially with that performance, the late game kind of execution defensively. Um, I just don't know if they can put it together offensively. They've had their struggles. Uh, I just I, – I don't – look, if Jimmy Butler goes off for 40 points a night, I think they do have a shot at potentially pushing this to six or seven games. But Jimmy's not 100%, I don't think. Uh, I think he's close to that. But the knee surgery, all the different question marks surrounding that, how much is he going to be able to play? Tibbs is going to push him to play as much as he possibly can. Um, and I'm a little bit skeptical of that. I just – I get worried when players play on injuries a little bit too soon, in my opinion. Um, but – yeah, we'll see what happens. Like I said, I just think Houston's one step above everybody right now. We move on to the next series, and that's that 4-5 or five series that everybody's looking forward to. I think uh, game one is Sunday night, if I recall. And we have uh, Westbrook and the Thunder. Westbrook coming off a second-year uh, triple-double uh, funky team that they've put together with you know PG on one side and whatever is left of the corpse of Carmelo on on the other side, um, and then you know the most underrated big in the league in my estimation in Stephen Adams um, going up against the surprise team in the league this year. You know Utah, they they fell to the five seed. They were three before the last game of the season. Uh, this that fall could hurt them because now they don't get home court advantage. Um, Tough matchup for the Jazz. They're a really interesting team, very well coached. Uh, one of the top rookies in the year of the year, clearly, in Donovan Mitchell, a guy who I know you think should win Rookie of the Year, um, and I completely understand that that argument. Um, and then, you know, obviously the big man in the middle and, and Gobert, who who was phenomenal, Defensive Player of the Year. You know, what what do you expect out of this series? Is this a seven game series? Do you think Utah can win this thing? Um, you know, what do you expect coming out of this series? Yeah, you know, there's two frames of thought for me right now on this series. Uh, I either think that Oklahoma City could blow the doors off of Utah, um, and the only reason I say that is just because of the experience they have in the playoffs. I think it is a big advantage, um, but. I think what I'm leaning towards right now is a seven-game series, and I think it's going to be a very back-and-forth, grinded-out. Uh, it could be, you know, one of the slower-paced games or uh, series in the playoffs as well, just based on the types of players you have. You've got Donovan Mitchell, who's very good in isolation. Um, you've got Russell Westbrook, who we know can take over games and is very good in isolation. You've got, uh, obviously, Paul George and Carmelo Anthony, whom they also play a lot of ISO, one-on-one kind of basketball. They like to do that. Uh, So I just think there's a lot going for this series in the sense that we may get a little bit more 80s, 90s basketball out of this series, just the way that it looks, the way that it feels. Um, There could be some, you know, scrums and battles and arguments. Uh, Jay Crowder has definitely added some zest to this Utah Jazz team. Um, I love Utah, Utah's kind of role uh, role players and depth that they have in Jay Crowder, Joe Ingles, guys like that. Exum, if he can play, I think he's played better than what people anticipated him to play this season. Obviously, his expectations from when he was drafted are a little bit different. But, um, I, you know, I think it's seven games. I think Oklahoma City probably takes it. 
Uh, I would not be shocked one bit if Utah wins this series. Um, they've been on an absolute tear since right after the All-Star break. Uh, their defensive efficiency ratings are just off the charts. Um, Mitchell, if he can find a groove and he doesn't get sucked into you know, trying to battle out Westbrook one-on-one, I think he can do very well in this series. Um, but I am worried about that kind of rookie wall that may hit at some point. Uh, in playoff basketball, it seems like rookies struggle a little bit more often than they do in the, in the regular season. Uh, defenses know exactly what to expect from these players. They've got a very good sample size of what to expect. So I, I wouldn't be shocked one bit if we see, you know, a few games where Donovan Mitchell struggles. Uh, I also wouldn't be surprised if Donovan Mitchell puts up 40-plus points in a couple <laughs> of these games maybe. But I think what's what should happen is Oklahoma City should win in seven games. I think that's where I'm leaning at this point. I think this Oklahoma City team isn't great. I don't think they're built for each other. I don't really necessarily think that um, they're, quote-unquote, built for the playoffs, but I just do think that experience lends itself to, to being the favorite in this series. Um, even though I love the coaching edge that Utah brings, I love the players that Utah have, um, and I think that they're – possible ceiling is higher than Oklahoma City in the playoffs as well. You know, it's interesting. I, I couldn't, you know, I thought so much of you said. It made so much sense, and, I, and I'm concerned about Mitchell in this series as well. I'm also concerned about Rubio. I don't know if he can guard Westbrook, you know, six, seven games um, and, and, and come out on top. It's a tough matchup for, for Rubio, especially with Westbrook's engine. The other side is when you look at Oklahoma City, you know, they, they also can go south. You know, this, this is not a team that if they lose one or two games at home, home and they got to go play in a brutal brutal spot in in utah which not a lot of teams win if they go down you know it's 1-1 or god forbid 2-0 that team could kill each other in the locker room you know they're they're you got a bunch of guys that you just could tell they're not the best of teammates who knows what paul george is you know thinking um you know it'll be interesting to see you know what happens with them and utah is the opposite right they're so well coached and so together it'll be really interesting to see you know what happens in 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 that series so um let's move on to your hometown blazers the three seed who obviously beat utah the other night to get to this spot they're taking on the pelicans uh sands uh boogie cousins uh interesting interesting series can certainly go either way. Portland with the home court. Lillard has just been sensational all year. He's improved so much. Him and McCollum are clearly as good of a backcourt as you are in the league, have in the league. But Lillard is, is so good right now. Um, you, know, you look at the Pelicans, Holiday has had a great year also. He's playing the best ball of his career. You know, this feels like a toss-up, even though it's a 3-6 matchup. And what are your thoughts on this series? Yeah, I'm completely with you. I think it is a toss-up. I think defensively, New Orleans gives the Blazers problems. Uh, Obviously, the last time the Blazers played New Orleans, Damian Lillard went off for, I think, 42 or 43 points, and the Blazers ended up winning away from home. That could certainly happen again. I don't see it happening again like that. Uh, Lillard is going to have to pull the bulk of the offensive load for this team. I think C.J. McCollum is going to be a crucial factor as well, but I think the best player in both of, in this series is Anthony Davis. And if Anthony Davis can go Anthony Davis on the Blazers for six or five or six or seven games, 
I think it's entirely possible that New Orleans wins this. Uh, I, I just – I'd be very worried um, about, about New Orleans and what they can possibly bring, especially because they do have some playoff experience on that team. Anthony Davis has been there and done that. Um, Rondo also has a ton of playoff experience, and defensively he can give them problems, especially in crunch time. He's been very good defensively. Drew Holiday, I think – He's been great offensively. His numbers are off the charts compared to previous years. But I think the other thing that Drew Holiday brings that I did not anticipate him bringing, defense. And I think he deserves all defense, um, to probably third or second team all defense, just based on the way he's played this season. So I think this matchup is probably the most, aside from the Utah-Oklahoma City series, I think this is probably the most intriguing matchup. It's a toss-up. I, I honestly want to lean Pelicans, uh, but I think the Damian Lillard chip on his shoulder as the national – because he takes into all these – you know, any story that's written about him or Davis or vice versa, he takes into account. Davis and him were in the same draft class, I believe, and I think there is an extra added competitive spirit to that. And anytime Damian Lillard has a chip on his shoulder, you do not want to face him. I would go Blazers in seven. I think that's probably where I'm leaning at this point. And uh, like I said, I just think that competitive edge of Lillard may get to New Orleans in a, in a seventh game. Makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. It's clearly two of the best, world's best basketball players on that court with Lillard and, and AD, so it should be incredibly fun to watch. Um, I think that's also the Sunday night uh, game on as well. And then, we uh, and then we come to one of the headline series, the the uh, world champion Golden State Warriors taking on the dynasty of uh, Popovich and, and the Spurs in the seventh seed. Um, the games, I think that's a Saturday that kicks off the playoffs, uh, three o'clock. Um, no Curry for at least round one. Uh, no Kawhi for the whole season and and probably. The, the, the postseason as well, unless there's some sort of crazy uh, surprise that I know has been kind of whispered around Twitter a, a little bit uh, of Kawhi jumping in. Um, you know, what what are your thoughts? Does Popovich and crew have any shot to get this to a game six, or can Golden State, who has not been playing good basketball at all, is the worst defense I've seen them play under Kerr in a very long time? Uh, can they get two games here, San Antonio? I think they can. I, I actually am – I've been – at the beginning of this season, I said <laughs> Golden State, it will not be in the finals. I just – teams where – like getting to the finals year after year, it will wear and tear on you at some point in time. And I think we're starting to see that. You saw, you know, the Celtics have, have their big three and they went through it. And you maybe thought they'd they'd win another and they didn't. And – the Miami Heat big three, the same sort of situation. Now, obviously, Golden State plays a different style of basketball. They are, you know, I would say superior to those teams in the sense that they have uh, just just more talent overall uh, than those teams. But I think the fatigue just starts to set in on these teams. And I, when you end a season the way they did, I, I, I'm sorry, I don't care how much effort or energy – was put in or not put in, don't buy into losing by losing to Utah by 40 points to end your season. And that just scares me. I think, look, the Warriors are probably going to be fine in this first-round series. They should win the series. 
But do I think San Antonio has enough to potentially push this to six or seven games? I think they do. And if Kawhi comes back, then there's a real question mark about this series. Is and that I think, a reality? I mean, can, is, is there, have you heard that there's a chance he'll be back for this weekend? I haven't heard anything of the Kawhi subject. I think the Spurs are putting this on lockdown to make sure nobody knows. I think there is some intrigue there, though. And I think, well, there's obviously intrigue, but I think there is a chance that he comes back. I don't have anybody to back this. I don't have a source to say anything of the sort. I just, I find it very hard to believe that an NBA player whose team is in the playoffs um, and has been so scrutinized throughout the season in Kawhi wouldn't give it a go. I, I still find that hard to believe. I don't care, you know, what the injury is. Look, you've seen Jimmy Butler, ultra competitive player, comes back early from his surgery to return. Kawhi obviously didn't return in the regular season, but I just have a feeling um, that he could come back at some point in the series. And if that's the case, I think it's entirely possible San Antonio wins the series. If he doesn't come back, I still think San Antonio gives them a run for their money. And if we're talking about them as they are currently, um, as they as they currently are, I think they give. Golden State six games, I think it becomes a more competitive series than people expect. And, yeah, like I said, I, I'm just not high on the Golden State Warriors right now. I know that they can turn it up. I don't like when teams flip the switch off in the regular season as much as they have and then expect to just turn it back on instantly. I don't know if that will, will happen. Um, and I just haven't seen enough consistent basketball from them on both sides of the, the floor. Uh, Clay does not look like Clay. Uh, Draymond has certainly been uh, up and down all season long. And I don't think Kevin Durant is replacing Stephen Curry. Uh, I just think there's a different value there um, with that team. Uh, so, yeah, I, I would say six games. Um, but, yeah, like I said, I would not be shocked one bit if Kawhi comes back earlier than that for some reason. Very interesting. We're talking to Oliver Maroney, who clearly knows his stuff and is as connected as anybody, the lead writer over at Dime Magazine and the host of the Big Three show, which, of course, had its draft last night. You can follow Oliver on Twitter at O-Maroney, M-A-R-O-N-E-Y, N-B-A, O-Maroney, N-B-A. So we just took you through the West, and I want to touch on the East now. You know, we start with a team that, you know, obviously has had their struggles in the postseason, and that's uh, we the North up in up in Toronto. Uh, they are the top seed in the East and taking on a, a Wizard team that's probably had one of the stranger seasons you could have, losing their top player and <laughs> winning uh, throughout that time. And then he comes back, and they've really struggled since he's since he's been back. hasn't played on any back to backs as well, and that's you know the Wizards and and John Wall. Um, I saw a really funny tweet the other day as the Nuggets game was ending. Someone said, you know, it's all fun and games until Kyle Lowry shoots three for 21 in game one. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on, on the Raptors? I expect them to win this, um, to win this series, which obviously brings up the next question, which is, you know, potential matchup with their, with their rivals, I guess, it's their own, their rivals in their own mind, considering not a lot of other people consider them rivals to Cleveland. But give us a sense of what you see from the Raptors this series and what you expect from the Raptors in the postseason. Yeah, I actually expect a lot out of this team. I think their mentality going into it, there was a quote earlier today 
from Kyle Lowry that said, we're taking this game one as a game seven. This is our game seven. Every single game in the series will be a game seven, I think is, and quote, what he exactly said. And I think well, that's I don't even know what that means. The, I, I can appreciate that level of competitive attitude, nature, just like how serious they're taking it. I think it's good for this team. I think they've had their struggles in the playoffs, and they know that. But Dwayne Casey, uh, as much as I criticized him in years prior, he's shown a propensity to change the way his offensive system is run. And I think when coaches finally figure out that they have to be versatile and they have to adjust in order to win in this league, I think it unlocks a team to a certain potential that they probably have never had before. And I think you're looking at this team, DeMar can finally shoot three-pointers. Now, granted, it's not some outrageous percentage, but the fact that he can, I think, really allows this team to do a lot of things on offense that they weren't uh, previously able to do. So I, I think this team is going to handle Washington quite easily. I, I really expect them to either sweep the Wizards or uh, possibly have one loss against the Wizards um, in Washington at some point. But I really think as much as people are scared of this Wizards team because maybe they just haven't hit that that ceiling yet that everybody anticipated them being at, um, I, I just think Toronto is going to handle this. I think they're going to get over this playoff woes sort of situation. I, I just don't see a team that can have this much regular season success and not have the postseason success to go along with it year in and year out. I mean, they've been there and done that multiple years now. And if they don't get over the hump this year, I think there should be some question marks regarding this team overall as it's constructed. But I don't think that's Well, I like the Wizards as a sleeper in the East the last couple of weeks, but then the, the matchups they got are absolutely brutal. They got the Raptors, and then if they somehow win this series, they're probably looking at LeBron. So, you know, the, yeah. to me, they have a lot of talent. They got a lot of interesting pieces. Now, I'm – I know everyone's high on that Raptors bench. I, I need. I just need to see this thing into the playoffs. You know, Pascal Siem and Podol, the big kid from you know Utah. And I need to see these guys play in the playoffs and hit big shots. They've come up so small the last couple of years. It'll be interesting yep. to see what happens with them because if they do get upset in a game, you know, they're, they're going to really panic. And, you know, we know that Lowry and DeRozan have not been good in the playoffs, so it'll be, it'll be a lot of fun. And I want to get to the next series because, obviously, it then goes into what your thoughts are in the Raptors in the next series, which is, you know, Cleveland against Indiana. And Cleveland is a four seed, which, obviously, for most people who haven't seen them, and it's pretty hard not to see Cleveland with how much they've been on TV this year, um, they are the worst defensive team I've ever seen in my life um they made a bunch of changes to get much more athletic and even worse defensively which <laughs> is sort of hard to believe considering how bad they were yeah. playing guys like fry and and others um you know lebron is just an absolute freak of nature year 15 best year of his career numbers across the board played in all 82 games you know what are your thoughts on what's going to happen in this series? It goes up against Stevenson. Indiana is a real surprise this year. Oladipo has had such a great year. Miles Turner. You know, what, what are your thoughts on what will happen? And then sort of parlay that into what you think will happen in round two between the winner of this series against the Raptors. I, I, man, I've convinced myself that the Pacers have a real chance of winning this. And 
they've played Cleveland tough in regular season games where LeBron has played and played in big moments and, uh, you know, done his typical LeBron stat lines of triple doubles and whatnot. I, I really don't trust the Cleveland Cavaliers in the playoffs one bit. I think Indiana has a real shot to win this thing in six games. It couldn't be in seven. I, I, in a game seven situation, I'm taking LeBron nine times out of ten unless they're playing the Warriors or possibly the Rockets. Um, but other than that, uh, you know, I, I really think that the Indiana I Actually, you know what, I'll just say it. I think the Indiana Pacers are going to beat the Cleveland Cavaliers in six games. That's what I think wow, is going to happen. Wow, big, a big um, scoop on the show. Wow, the grill here <laughs> inside the burger shop is, is gonna, burning hot gonna, with this you know, prediction. <laughs> if I'm going to tease it, I may as well just throw it out there. I think that's the – yeah, look, it's, it, it's not favorable by any chance. I know the betting odds are outrageous. I think Cleveland is uh, minus 650 or 750, something like that. It's pretty – ridiculous considering the fact that Cleveland has like like you just said one of the worst defensive teams in the league um I'm just worried about the 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 other players around LeBron I can't trust any of them um I don't know who will or who won't show up they haven't really been playing uh stellar offense or defense LeBron has just kind of been carrying the load and I just I've never seen Rodney Hood play in a playoff series um, with, like, meaningful minutes in any way, shape, or form. I haven't seen Larry Nance Jr. I haven't seen Jordan Clarkson. I don't know what these players will be like. And, I, you know, I haven't seen enough from them in the regular season to really be convinced that they can, they can ride the ship on this thing. And, I, you know, I think the signals are there that LeBron could probably leave. I think that would probably well, that uh, do you, it in. Which is, Instead of talking about the winner of the Pacers-Raptors, much more interestingly is if Cleveland does lose in the first round, give he's us gone. your sense of what you're thinking. Where and, and, you know, a lot of people think he's gone regardless of the first round or not, but where is yeah. he going? I think it's Houston. I think Houston's the destination if he's going to choose a place that he wants to win now. I, I think it makes a lot of sense. Chris Paul is a pretty good friend of his. Um, I think – uh, that Houston Rockets team as constructed is really, really good. And I think, you know, looking at the salary cap and what they'd have to do, um, you know, it's really not that much. <laughs> Houston's positioned themselves pretty well in the, in the postseason or actually in the offseason uh, to make a run at LeBron. And I think that, that to me would be the number one choice. If I was to go number two, I, I think Philadelphia is right up there. I don't, I don't really understand why um, that would be such a deterrent, even if they're young. I think they're very, very talented. I think they have two of the top 25 probably players in the NBA right now. And if you want to win now and win three years from now when your body's possibly deteriorating, maybe, I don't know. Uh, we'll see how long LeBron can continue to play like this. But if you want to win now and potentially three years from now, that may be the better situation. Makes total sense, except for having to sort of live in that city and deal with uh, all the nonsense <laughs> that that city provides. It makes total sense from a personnel perspective, so I completely understand. Uh, we're getting talking to 
uh, Oliver Maroney, writer over at Dime Magazine and host of the Big Three Show. We have two more series uh, to go with Oliver, and I uh, was breaking a lot of interesting predictions on the show, a lot of fun here today on Inside the Burger Shop. Uh, we Speaking about Philly and, and, and Embiid and the process and, and Simmons, um, you know, they take on a dangerous underdog and an amazing coach in Spolstra. You know Riley and him have been spending uh, not sleeping the past couple nights getting ready for this matchup Saturday night, 8 o'clock uh, prime time. Um, you know, what, what are your thoughts on what will happen in that series? You know, you just talked a little bit about Embiid and, and Simmons. Um, you think Miami has a shot to keep this thing close? 16 wins in a row to end the season by Philadelphia. Yeah, I think they do. I think Miami's one of the more uh, scary teams to face in the playoffs. I, I don't, you know, Eric Spolster is one of the best coaches in the league, I think. Uh, he doesn't get enough credit. Um, this team doesn't get enough credit. Uh, the addition of Dwayne Wade, I think, really helps them. Um, obviously, Dragic has played actually quietly quite well, in my opinion, for most of the season. Um, I think the question marks are still there about Whiteside and whether he can really produce. But if Embiid isn't healthy, and that's kind of the big question mark here, um, right now it sounds like he's not going to play in game one. And if he's out for possibly a game two and a game three, I think Miami has the edge. Um, and I guess that would be, you know, I, I would pick Miami um, if I knew that Embiid would be out at minimum three games. Um, if he's out for any shorter than that, I think Philadelphia can probably squeeze it out in seven games. But if Miami wins the first game on the road, they've got home court, and I trust that home court. Um I, I, I really think that they can do some damage against Philadelphia, who, look, without Embiid, Simmons has played great during this win streak. They haven't played the most phenomenal opponents. <laughs> um, you look at some of the wins against, like, the, the net uh, teams of that kind of caliber. Uh, that doesn't really impress me, especially in the regular season when they're trying to tank. Um, and I think you look at the postseason and offenses slow down, Miami is going to find a way, just like, you know, LeBron in the playoffs for a pretty long time, for his first probably 10 years, San Antonio, San Antonio played LeBron just as I will assume that Miami uh, will play Simmons. And they'll try and push him outside and force him to make shots or make plays. Um, and I don't think Simmons is comfortable shooting jump shots. And we all know that he's not a great jump shooter right now. And I think that could be a huge um, – deciding factor in this series. If Simmons can't, you know, pick up the load for what Embiid represents on that team, I, I think they're toast. I think Miami could beat them in as little as six games or possibly five games without Embiid. Um, so I guess I, I'm going to choose Miami with the assumption that Embiid is out for a minimum of, I'll say two games. Um, if he's out for two games, I think Miami can win this thing. You know, it's interesting. The two things that teams really struggle in in the playoffs are youth, meaning no experience, one of the things that Philly really doesn't have much of, um, and the second being uh, teams who don't play as well in the half court. They're a team who really loves to move the basketball, push it up. Simmons loves pushing it up. Exactly. They've done an incredible job of building shooters around them, Ilasova and Bellinelli, two great pickups, and obviously Redick as well. But it all starts with the big guy. And, in the sh and when you are forced to play half-court offense, you're absolutely right. Embiid is crucial to that. And without him, 
they are really going to be challenged to score the ball. It's different in the regular season. You get these wide open looks. Guys aren't playing D the way you know the way the playoffs are in that half court. And you know I don't love this matchup at all for Philly. I think it's going to be a really really good series. Uh, you know Riley is you know sitting there with Spolstra uh, going over everything, and and they're going to be ready. Um, I'm excited to to see that, and you know that that brings us to the last uh, the last series, which is um, sort of a strange series. You get the the banged up Celtics, who actually have finished with the number two seed, no Kyrie, uh, certainly no Marcus Smart for a couple weeks, um, but they have the best coach in the league, and, and Brad Stevens, and, and best coach in the world. Um, and then you get my uh, you get Milwaukee, who has an interim coach um, and an incredible amount of talent. Oh, and two for Giannis in the playoffs. Um, you know, a lot of people are giving the Bucks uh, the edge here. You know, you've chosen a lot of the underdogs, especially in the East with the Pacers and the Heat. Brad Stevens have enough to get the Celtics to round two here. Yeah, I don't think coaching is as big of a difference maker in the playoffs as it is in the regular season. I know we've talked about coaching a little bit and, like, Eric Spolstra being a difference maker. Um, you know, I, I, I just don't, I, I don't think the Celtics are going to be able to pull this out. I, you know, they're kind of eh, – I'd say they're, they're not really a two-seed when they're a two-seed just because I, I think they've had some really good regular season wins where – you know they've been out. They've outcoached other teams. I think Stevens, <laughs> Stevens has done a remarkable job. I think he definitely deserves Coach of the Year or Runner Up at very minimum. Um, but I think in the playoffs, it, it's it, talent really does does seem to win out more often than not. I think this Milwaukee team presents a lot of problems lengthwise and size wise. Um, I, I think Milwaukee is going to win this get, thing in six games. I, I I think that they are going to take the cake on this one. Um, it, you know, it, Stevens could do some different things. I just think in the playoffs, when you slow it down, when you change the pace, when you change the style that's being played, how competitive it is, um, I, I just think there's a difference there. And I think the players that the Celtics have just won't be able to match up with Milwaukee. It's not a detriment on the Celtics at all. I think they've had an incredible season. I think what Stevens has done is remarkable. Um, and I think they have a really bright future. Um, but I, I just have a feeling that the Milwaukee Bucks are going to somehow figure out a way to pull this out with Giannis kind of um, running the show. Interesting. So in the East, Pacers, Heat, Bucks, and the number one seed Raptors. In the West, Houston, Thunder and seven, Pelicans and Warriors in six. So a lot of upsets from my man, Oliver. And before we let you go, and I thank you for you know, spending 45 minutes with us today, uh, we, you know, we're going to be joined shortly by uh, two additional guests, uh, Ron Berger, uh, Papa Berger, to talk about uh, the Knicks and, and what's going on there. And, of course, the mouth of the South, Joe Schwartz, who's uh, going to get a little bit more sun than he thought, and we'll talk to Joe about the Sixers. Um, but before we let you go, Oliver, I'd love to talk just for a minute with big New York audience on this podcast. You know, obviously you're out west in Portland, but connected to the league. What's your sense of what's going on here in New York? Um, you know, have you heard anything regarding the coaching? Obviously let Hornacek go. What are your thoughts uh, on who will end up coaching the Knicks? Yeah, I mean, I, I've got a few thoughts. I think uh, I don't think Hornacek should have been fired. Uh, I know a lot of people will disagree with me. 
Um, I don't think he was really given enough time to be able to prove what he could do. I don't think, you know, Porzingis being hurt uh, is probably something that had more to do with the way the Knicks played this year than anything else. (laughs) Um, Look, they had to change the lineup. They had to go after different guys. They had to try and uh, see who who they could keep for the future. I think there's some bright spots there. Um, but, yeah, like I said, I don't think Hornacek should have been fired. If I'm going to choose some coaches out there that are available, um, I do really think that Jay Wright could do well in, in, in the NBA. I don't think he's going to take a coaching job in the NBA, though. Uh, I have a feeling he's one of these guys that will enjoy coaching in college, wants to continue coaching in college, um, and has – you know, has just done a phenomenal job at Villanova in a a very cushed position at this point. Um, If there's some guys out there, I think Mark Jackson's a great coach. I I really do. I think that he is one of the guys that I would think would be in the running. Um, I would love, absolutely love to see either him or Jeff Van Gundy um, coach. And I don't know if Jeff Van Gundy's interested in coaching. I haven't spoken to him in probably six months, (laughs) but, uh, I know that he's coached the USA basketball, the G League guys. He's got a pretty good pulse on that. And I think that's a huge portion of uh, what the Knicks would have to do to kind of rebuild, retool, and get back into the playoffs. Uh, I I love Jeff Van Gundy. I I think he's an excellent coach. He's a great basketball mind. I I would love to see him as the New York Knicks basketball coach. Whether that happens or not, like I said, um, I I, I don't know. I don't even know if they're interested in him. I would love to see them uh, hire him, though. Yeah, no, it makes two of us big Jeff fan. It's it's weird with Mark Jackson, and then we'll let you go, Oliver. You know, you know, for for whatever reason, his name is never brought up in coaching except when the Knicks are thinking of a coach. I never hear his name in other. I'm not. I know he played for St. John's, and I know he played for the Knicks, but it's odd to me that he's never in the coaching kind of carousel except when the Knicks are yeah. looking for coaches so that to me is a little asterisk of of Mark but look I appreciate you coming on today spending a bunch of time with us love to have you back on as the playoffs get a little bit tighter we'll be uh, watching out for your predictions and uh, enjoy the weekend my man hey thanks a lot I appreciate it you got it that's Oliver Maroney lead writer over at Dime Magazine. Follow him on Twitter at NBA. Clearly knows his stuff. Great, great guy, and uh, we're excited for having him on the show. So thanks to Oliver and Dime for, for coming on today. And that brings us to our second guest, uh, someone who I know fairly well, and that is uh, my dad, Ron Berger, who I've thought of having on the podcast, similar to Bill Simmons and his dad. And he calls us in, calls in today from the Hamptons where uh, he's relaxing and getting ready, I'm sure, for a little bit of golf uh, either later today or tomorrow as the weather has turned a little bit. And we wanted to have him on today because there is no bigger Nick fan, a season ticket holder and uh, a frustrated one at that. And with everything going on with the team and the coaching search, I thought it would be a really good time to bring him on and let him talk a little bit about you know, what he's seeing and feeling inside the garden today. So, Dad, welcome to the show. Hey, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Uh, interesting listening so far. I don't know if I'm the biggest Nick fan, but I'm probably the oldest Nick fan you'll have on the show. 
That's probably true, although there's a lot of people much older in the Garden that are, uh, that are big fans of the team, and that's because of the history and certainly the heritage and everybody going back a long time to those great championship years of Clyde and DeBusher and whatnot. So, you know, you've been a season ticket holder for a long time, um, and you're very active on Twitter at RonBurger14 with your uh, opinions on the team and what's going on. So kind of give us a state of the union of what you see with the team, the organization, the GM, obviously the, the players and, and Porzingis. You know, what is sort of going on today in, uh, at 33rd and 7th Avenue? Well, you know, I think what, what's, this is the latest uh, sort of uh, relaunch of, uh, of an organization that shockingly has lost more games uh, in this, this, uh, since the year 2000 than any organization, any team in the NBA, which is uh, not an easy thing to accomplish. Uh, and, you know, we've, we've, we've seen over the last 15, 17 years some very high-profile coaches that have been hired uh, you know, from Isaiah Thomas to Lenny Wilkins to Larry Brown to Phil, you know, to Phil Jackson in the front office. Uh, there's been no shortage of, of big people who've come in, and there's been no shortage of big people who've been thrown out. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think in this, you know, and it, you know, it's been talked about a lot, I think, in this organization. Uh, you have to compare it to the way people describe at the pro level the best organization starts with owners – general managers, president of basketball operations, and coaches all being aligned in terms of their set of values, the kind of organization they want to run, the kind of team they want to have, and the kind of players they want to have on the floor. And I think it's safe to say that uh, that the Knicks have never sort of been able to get that, and one of the big reasons why they've never been able to get it is because the person who owns the team uh, James Dolan uh, is, by everybody's description, an impossible person to get along with and work with. Uh, so uh, it's created an environment for the team and the organization that, despite the talent that they've brought in, somehow it's never been able to, you know, to, to sort of work its way through. As it relates to guys, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say that the guys that are running it right now for Dolan are sort of a tandem. You have a guy that's been there for a significant amount of time in Steve Mills, which I think a lot of Knicks fans kind of scratch their head and try to get an understanding of what exactly does he do and what is his role since he seems to be a little bit Teflon, doesn't seem to ever get in trouble for the selections, signings, coaching selections, the Phil Jackson fiasco, and, and on and on. And then you have a new individual, Scott Perry, who came in last year from Orlando as an assistant GM. And it seems like they're kind of working in tandem. Um, you know, can this, these two guys as a combination bring this team back to respectability? Well, I, you know, I think – for the sake of this conversation, for the sake of all Nick fan sanity, you sort of have to take a leap of faith because, you know, you start getting on a plane with pilots that you're not sure you hope could land the plane. Uh, even though there's certainly in Mills's case, as you, as you pointed out, uh, not just eight question marks, probably four or five question marks. Of course, along with Dolan, he is the actual single constant that's been there 
not just for Jackson, but going back to Isaiah Thomas. So, you know, for a guy who's obviously very smart, he went to Princeton, played at Princeton. Uh, I, I don't know whether he majored in politics or not, but he certainly has learned how to, how to survive in, a, in an organization from a political point of view. Uh, but as I said, you know, I don't think it serves any Knicks fan well. We've, we've lived with this for so long. I think, you know, at this point, the, the, you have to sort of say, uh, have they learned, and with this tandem, as you described, between Mills and, and Scott Perry, will they be able to, to duplicate uh, when you look at the great organizations in the NBA, there is a fairly consistent sort of way they operate. And whether you take the heat, is, you know, with Riley and Spolster and obviously Mickey Harrison, you take the, the uh, Celtics with Ainge and, and Brad Stevens and, and you know, Grousebeck and the, and the people who own that, that team, uh, you know, even take the Lakers now. Uh, you know, they, they seem to be aligned. They've got Luke Walton, they've got Matt Griffin, they've got Jeannie Buss. Uh, you take the, the, the Warriors, obviously, with, with her and Bob Myers and, and the guy who owns the, the Warriors. You know, they, they, different than, than other sports and certainly college basketball, the, the working model for success in the NBA seems to be that troika being aligned. And, you know, we've already discussed that it's almost impossible to be aligned with Dolan. So let's start with, with, with Mills and Perry and give them the benefit of the doubt that they will work in tandem, do have a vision for uh, what this team and organization and culture needs to be like moving forward uh, and will be able to execute on that. Again, I, I thought the press conference yesterday uh, was a little bit too passive for my taste, and that may be because I'm old. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to hear about patience. Um, I understand the need to be patient, but there still needs to be a, uh, you know, it's an old expression in basketball, you know, be quick, but don't hurry. And, and I think that's true here. I think, I think they need to be, there needs to be a, a you know, I'm going to use the word urgency, but it's too strong a word. But I think they need to demonstrate that, that, that they know how to, how to make stuff happen uh, on a on a because there's too many examples in the league for me, and it sort of does get to the coaching thing, which you know which which I guess we'll get to. But you you know you look at the teams like Utah, and you look at at at, uh, at the Celtics, what Stevens is doing without Kyrie, you know, and, and you look at some of these other teams, and and the the effort that they put out on the floor uh, without a lot of talent is something that as a fan you can buy into the fact that they, that they seem to make the playoffs as a result of that is, is, is just sort of icing on the cake. And the thing that has been most frustrating, and, you know, you, you've heard me, you know, you know, vent that frustration is I, I don't understand how, how professional athletes can't play hard every night. And the Knicks simply do not play hard every night. And that to me falls on the coach. And, and if it isn't on the coach, and it's on the general manager for not getting the players. But I think that's what, you know, when you see what the Heat players, the way Spolster pushes those guys, and you see the way Stevens pushes the Celtics, and you see the way Snyder pushes Utah. And, you know, and, and, you know they're, they're, I'm not talking about Pop because that's at a different level. I'm talking about the guys who, who sort of are working class, you know, down and dirty. Every night these, these guys come out more like a college team. And there's nothing more frustrating than paying 
you know, hundreds of dollars a ticket for a Nick game and see guys who basically don't do what a grade school team can do in terms of, of helping out on defense and hitting the floor when a ball is loose. Uh, and, and I think that's, that's the kind of thing that, that Perry and, and Mills have to instill in terms of the organization. And, and I know Ainge, you know, again, you go back to the general managers, Ainge was that kind of player. So therefore it's not surprising that his organization is like that. Uh, you know, so I think that that's sort of what has to be defined and, and, and executed at the, for the Knicks now. We're talking to Papa Berger, Ron Berger. You can follow him on Twitter at RonBerger14. If you're into hoops, if you're into the Knicks, of course, as you can tell, there's a lot of opinions and strong ones at that. So now we've kind of gone over the front office. Let's move into the actual court itself, and then I'll kind of throw you a couple names regarding coaches, and you could you know, give us your sense of what, what you'd like to see or maybe a couple words on each individual one. Um, on the court itself, obviously, Porzingis, you know, really good start. Uh, looked like one of the best players in the world the first month, month and a half of the season. Started to get tired and obviously eventually had a you know, horrific injury. You know, the 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 takeaway I f- took away from this season is you know, I didn't get to see enough of the young players. Um, if they were to play those young players more, I think they would have developed more, and we would have had a worse draft pick, which would have been you know sort of a win-win. Um, now we're kind of stuck with that ninth pick, and Hornacek was stuck between trying to save his job and win, and 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 play the young guys like Burke and and Frank. Now, of the young guys, and let's sort of just focus on Frankie for a sec because him and KP are the two core pieces, it feels like. Now, what did you take away from the players this year? You went to a lot of games, you know, saw them up, for, up in person, you saw them in, down in Miami. Um, you know, what was your big takeaway from the roster itself? I know you like, you know, you liked Canner a lot for a long time this year. I know he wants a longer-term deal. Uh, what is your thoughts on the roster? Well, it's it, it was it, it was a very frustrating season uh, in a string of frustrating seasons. I, I was telling somebody the other day it, it would almost you know we went into the season with zero expectations, and then they came out of the box and through the middle of December they were playing great basketball. I mean they were really winning some games and they were playing the right way and they were hustling all of and Porzingis was you know you know what do you have four 30-point games in the first seven games. I think, you know, no Nick has ever done that. And I said, and, and then so they, they sort of raised expectations. And then even before he got hurt, which was actually at the beginning of February, they really started to show signs of, of things, of cracks in, in the armor. And a lot of it happened in endgame execution. A lot of it happened uh, with Hornacek making decisions similar to the one that Spolster made as far as Whiteside's concerned, where Whiteside, you know, said, if I'm, you know, if we're a better team with me on the floor, then why am I not on the floor? And I remember, uh, in fact, I think one of the games was, was, uh, was against the Heat when, when uh, Hornacek took Cantor off, off the floor. And, you know, you, you're playing, Miami is a three-point shooting team. The Knicks weren't. So to go small and give up your biggest advantage, which was Cantor, to me, was just you know an example of, of the tactical mistakes that that Hornacek seemed to make on a on a you know on a more an ongoing regular basis. As far as the talent's concerned, again, I think they they lost 
the cohesiveness that they had built up early on in the season. A guy like you know Doug McDermott, who again you know is not is not a, a franchise changer, but this guy was a role player who came in and contributed something. I think at guard, you know, listen, I, let me start with KP because everything starts with KP. I think you know, as you said, he's you know he's a generational talent. Uh, in a league that right now actually has about three or four generational talents, you know, like Simmons, Ben Simmons, and 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 uh, the Greek Freak, and then Bead, uh, the starters, uh, you know, guys who just sort of you know redefine about three positions on one player. Uh, I, you know, I think the 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 ongoing worry about him, which certainly is you know has not been been uh, dampened by what happened this season, is is his body just because of the size of it and the need to have to carry around and run around and jump around because he's so athletic, uh, does that put him uh, in a situation where uh, he's just going to be more vulnerable to injuries? And uh, and every season there has been one or two, and obviously last offseason he worked to get stronger. But I think that is a ongoing question mark that hopefully uh, is going to resolve itself uh, because – he can't stay on the floor. He's going to miss, you know, large sections of the season. Uh, that that's that's a big thing. But talent-wise, it's hard to it's hard to not continue to be excited about what he's capable of doing. I think even when he went out, I think he was leading the league in blocks, or you know, certainly in the top two or three. Uh, so, in, you know, in, in terms of, of of him and Cantor, you know, I, I, I like Cantor because I, you know, the guy is an animal. I mean, you know, he's an old school center, you know, really can't do much from beyond three or four feet from the basket. Uh, but depending on the kind of offense and the kind of system you're going to run, uh, he certainly bring, you know, on this team, he certainly brought a lot, you know, a lot of, a lot to the table. And, you know, one of the great things he brought to the table is he, he enabled them to get rid of, of Carmelo, which, you know, obviously we've been, we've been, screaming about for the last three or four years uh beyond those guys uh you know i think frank is a is a uh, you know again a, a big question mark uh you know I, I i watched him early on in the season and you know i told you i told others i tweeted to me if i were the knicks there's a guy sitting courtside who uh i would have asked uh and i know he offered up a lot of opinions about him to be a personal mentor and a personal tutor to, to frank and that's clyde frazier uh, I mean, I, I, I saw Clyde when he graduated Southern Illinois in 1967. I saw him come to the Knicks. He and Frank are almost identical in terms of the way they were, with the way Clyde was when he came to the Knicks. He was 6'4". He was not overly athletic. He couldn't shoot from the outside. There was no three-point line then, but even that, he didn't have like a classic jump shot. He, he was very strong. He was able to back guys down but he was unbelievably fast and, and instinctive on defense. And obviously the thing that everyone gets excited about with Frank is his instinctiveness and his ability to get into lanes and, and you know, disrupt defense, offenses with his defense at 19 years old. And also personality-wise. You know, Clyde was from St. Croix in the Virgin Islands. Obviously Frank is from, from France. There was sort of a quietness uh, about both of them. And I think that Clyde, you know, and I've heard Clyde talk on TV and the radio about him, and you can sort of see that it's, he sees in Frank somebody with great potential. Having said that, this is a league where offense 
it's hard to stay on the floor if you can't shoot the ball and you can't drive to the basket. And I think there are big questions about, you know, where Frank can go. And, I, you know, I always hear, you know, he's 19, he's 19, he's 19. Well, you know, Jason Tatum is 19, and Dennis Smith Jr. is 19 also. There's a, you know, in the U.S., 19-year-old kids, you know, you look at the, at the, at the college tournament, the uh, March Madness, 19-year-old kids are, are, you know, throwing the ball down. And Frank seems to have a, a lack of explosiveness at the basket. Uh, you never see him get into the lane and finish above the rim. Um, he, uh, you know, and, and then obviously his jump shot uh, just seems to be a little bit mechanical. Um, sometimes he releases it, looks, you know, it looks really nice. His foul shot in shooting form is very nice, but he just doesn't seem to have that level of athleticism that, uh, that the NBA requires today. If you're going to be a point guard, you got to be able to beat people off the, you know, play a, you know, a spread the floor offense. You got to have somebody who can beat people off the dribble, uh, you know, draw defenses in, so you can either finish or you can, you can, you know, you can pass out to a three-point line. And and to me, those are the things that are that are the difference between somebody who grew up playing again at 19 years old, grew up playing in a in a French European league, and uh, and growing up playing in you know at the high level of. U.S. high school and college basketball, and then going into the NBA from there. But you know, it's clearly a, you know a, a work in progress. And to me, you know, it, it, it depends on that's you know a, a big part in both KP and Frank's case. What kind of coach do they bring in, and their ability to to you know to, to have a strong player development program, which again has not been a hallmark of the Knicks you know one last point on him you go back to when Shumpert got drafted you know he was another guy who you know was was sort of Clyde 2.0 unbelievably uh, you know athletic uh in that sense great hands and you know eight years later he still can't shoot the basketball and it's sort of hanging around with Cleveland so the Knicks need to be able to develop if you're going to have these young guys you need to be able to develop them um beyond Frank you know Obviously, they brought Trey Burke up. Uh, he looks like he's a you know uh, a quality. He has the potential to be a quality point guard. He can do what other guys can't do. You know, he gets or he can beat people off the dribble. He, he can put the ball in the basket. Uh, clearly, his size is a is an issue when it comes to playing defense. But then the larger issue is if he's the point guard, where's Frank? Uh, you know, I don't. You know, I know they've been dabbling with Frank as a shooting guard. It's hard to be a shooting guard if he can't shoot. So, uh, so they're going to have to figure that out. Um, Moutier, I saw five minutes of him in person down in Miami, and uh, it's all I needed to see. I don't see him in uh, any way, shape, or form uh, being a player that, uh, that contribute you know, to any team that I, I would see uh, having the kind of quality and the kind of effort and the kind of talent because again he can't shoot he can get to the basket but he also just doesn't seem to have that kind of inner drive and inner effort that that uh that the best pro and best college players you know bring to bring to the table you know bring to the work every day every every night uh beyond that you know Beasley was a nice surprise uh you know <laughs> J.R. Smith uh I don't know if he's a rich man's or a poor man's J.R. Smith uh, you know, I got I think to have a decision on him uh, in terms of contract. I'd be a little bit hesitant. You know, a guy with track record of 
bouncing around. He's, I mean, he's got enormous talent. But, you know, I don't know. I, I, I think those are the building blocks of the team at that point. And uh, with the number nine draft pick, which, you know, again, is astounding for a team that had such a bad season, uh, to be sitting with a number nine pick, they're going to have to be really smart about what they get and how it adds, uh, you know, what, what position it can actually add, not just the best athlete, the best player available. They have, they have a few of those already. Yeah, they they second worst record in the league after the All Star break, uh, being eleven and thirty five, because the league is so tank driven. Barely were able to even make a dent in, in getting up to a higher pick because how many teams are actually tanking? It's it's just an incredible situation that's going on, you know, with the league today. Let's move into the coaches. Uh, just a couple minutes more with uh, with Papa Berger here. I'm going to throw out a couple coaches, and if you can just give me, you know, a couple words on each one, um, and then maybe, you know, obviously, you know, who you'd love to see kind of be on the sidelines. So, of course, the, you know, the first name that we've heard, um, first time I've seen him linked to any NBA coaches, coaching opportunities is Jay Wright. Uh, you know, I know you're a big fan of, of his at Nova. Uh, a couple words on, on Jay Wright and if you think he, he has any chance to be the coach. Well, you know, I, I, I'd be surprised if he would be interested. I, I think he's, you know, I think he's, he's this generation's Pat Riley. Um, I thought the job that he did uh, at Villanova this year, obviously he's been there a while and, you know, won a national championship two years ago. But this year uh, I watched that West Virginia game, which I guess, you know, was a regional semifinal or something. And, you know, West Virginia is one of those teams that's just a nightmare to play against. And his, his players, uh, they, they just did not back down. And, you know, I, I use this expression, they, they'll beat you playing their game and they'll beat you playing your game. Uh, you want to play three point shooting right up and down. They'll beat you that game. You want to play in your face, 94 foot defense. They'll beat you with that game. And I just think that, that, that his style of playing, his style of coaching is the closest to, uh, you know, guys like Brad Stevens and Spolstra. Uh, he's, he's a college coach who, if he went to the pros would, would have to have guys who, who, can play and want to play the way he, he wants to play. And that's different, for example, than a guy like Billy Donovan, great college coach who, you know, is now coaching NBA players uh, and, and has to adapt his system to the way they play. So I, I think Wright's a, uh, you know, would be certainly a call, you know, to make. Uh, I'd be, you know, I heard Oliver say earlier, uh, you know, I see, I can see Jay Wright being, you know, this generation's, First, I said he was this generation's Pat Riley. He could be this generation's Mike Krzyzewski and, and wind up being at, at, at going over for, for 30, 40 years and, you know, win seven or eight national championships there. Uh, so, but I think you got to make the call. But I think, I think you got to, you know, you got to realize that, that he, he, the first thing he'd look at and say, can I be aligned with Mills and, and Perry are these guys that, that can bring the, bring the talent that I need and are we aligned on what kind of talent that is? But but I, I think he's terrific. Doc Rivers is a name we've heard a little bit. Former Nick point guard, currently GM and and coach of the Clippers. Doc Rivers to the next. This will be fast. I have zero interest in Doc Rivers as coach of the Knicks. Um, you know, I think he's just one of these guys who's 
bounced around. You know, one season he's under, you know, he's underperforming. Now this, this is his greatest, you know, one of his best coaching efforts. Uh, you know, I, I just think the Knicks need to do better. I think, you know, I don't see any record of him, you know, developing young talent. Uh, I don't see him, you know, a guy who's going to sit across the table from Mills and, and Perry. And, and, you know, he, he just, you know, he's just been around too, too many stops. And uh, I, I just, you know, other than the fact that he played in New York, I'm not sure why, you know, why there would be any any interest in him as, as coach. And I don't think that's enough. I think there are better better choices out there. Mark Jackson. Uh, I, you know, I like Jackson. Um, I agree with what you said earlier. Uh, you know, it's hard to understand um, what, uh, you know, what what he did. I mean, even though it's, you know, it's sort of been public that he, you know, he basically was abrasive with everyone in the organization except, it seems, the players, which is no small thing. You know, the players were big fans of his and, and Steph Curry especially. But the fact that he hasn't gotten another shot uh, says a lot. Having said that, you know, he's, he's a New York guy. Uh, he's a point guard. He understands the game. Uh, uh, you know, he understands the pressure of New York. Uh, and he did, you know, he, he was foundational in helping put together that Warriors team and in, in, in its early stages that, you know, that Kerr took over. So I think he's somebody that, that, you know, I would imagine should be considered. The question would be, again, uh, has he learned anything in terms of, of an you know, abrasive style uh, that would, that, you know, would make him, uh, a choice for, for Mills and Perry who want to operate this thing sort of as a, as a partnership. Of course, our longtime favorite, Jeff Van Gundy, which we talked a little bit about with Oliver just now. Well, you know, I think, Van, yeah, I think interestingly, and I was thinking about this this morning, the, 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 there's always coaching trees that, that, uh, that extend themselves, you know, in NFL, there's the Parcells coaching tree and, it was a Bill Walsh coaching tree, and and, uh, and and in the NBA, the Knicks with Jackson tried to go back to the early glory days when they won championships by bringing him back. Because he played, obviously, he played for Red Holtzman, who was sort of looked at as the godfather of of, uh, of Nick coaches. Now it seems that what's happening is is they're going back to the more recent, although not <laughs> recent enough days, which was the Riley slash Van Gundy era. And because uh, a lot of the coaches that are, that are sort of being talked about come out of that, that tree uh, and either played for them or worked for them. And I think, you know, listen, it's hard not to get excited about the idea of Jeff Van Gundy uh, as a coach, uh, you know, beyond the fact that he was, you know, he was there back in the late nineties, but uh, you know, he's smart. Uh, he understands how to communicate in New York. He's not going to be overwhelmed by the moment. He's very current at the same time. You know, he did coach the, you know, this USA, uh, you know, 18-year-old team or something, whatever it was. And, uh, and obviously he's on, you know, he's on TV a lot, so he's, he knows what's going on in the game. Uh, I did hear, you know, an unbelievable endorsement yesterday from Tracy McGrady, uh, who said that, in his opinion, Jeff Van Gundy was the best coach that he ever played for. He said the, the 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 abilities that he brought to to the table every night in terms of preparation, 
in terms of making he, Tracy, a, a better player, player development. He said, I think he would be unbelievable. Whether Jeff would be interested, you know, I have to think he's interested. You know, what, what you hear, there were so many openings that I would imagine that, you know, that if, if Van Gundy's going to come back to coach, he's going to weigh very heavily uh, what opportunities are out there because he's not going to come out, you know, he's not, if he's going to sign on for a rebuild like with the Knicks, you know, that's going to take a while. And, and you know, I don't know what his, his sort of horizon is in terms of wanting to, you know, wanting to build a championship contender again. But I, you know, let's yep. not to get excited about Dan Gundy. Absolutely. And then last, and we'll let you go, and that's uh, David Blatt, uh, who obviously has the Princeton relationship with Steve Mills. Uh, any, any thoughts on bringing uh, the Israeli David Blatt in to coach to him? Well, if you go back to you know what we talked about earlier, which is you know people that Mills and Perry are comfortable with, uh, you know Blatt obviously you know would be at the top of the list certainly as far as as uh, as, as uh, Mills is concerned, and actually the third person in that is, is Craig Robinson, who's you know head of player development now, who also w- went to Princeton. Uh, so you know, if anything else, we'd have the front office and coaching staff with the highest SATs of any of any organization in the NBA. Uh, you know, that's a great coach. You know, and in fact, I, I heard a podcast the other day with David Griffin. You know, who said that? You know, he. he I mean, the, the headline was that he said he wouldn't. They knew LeBron was coming. They never would have hired Blatt. But the reason he said that is because he, they hired Blatt because they were expecting to have a very young team and a very young Kyrie Irving. And they felt that Blatt's ability to coach young guys and, and teach them the, you know, how to, how to, the fundamentals uh, would be terrific. So, uh, you know, I think he's somebody uh, who would, you know, who would work probably very well uh, in New York, you know, being Jewish doesn't hurt uh, since half the crowd is Jewish and uh, you can, you know, you can get some, you can get some pregame meal at the Carnegie Deli stand on the, uh, the, the lowest level. And, uh, and he, you know, I, I think Blatt would be good. There is one of the guy that, that Ryan, that before we jump off that I, I also thought, you know, has been named is this guy, David Fisdale. Um, and the only reason I'm bringing him up is that he also sort of comes out of the, the Riley, uh, Van Gundy, Spolstra school, you know, like Spolstra started out as a video coordinator for Riley and, and Spolstra and Stan Van Gundy and, you know, sort of brings that to the, you know, that F, that work ethic and that ability to look at. So, you know, I don't know, you know, I never followed him much in Memphis and obviously, you know, he left based on uh, falling out with Marcus Saul, but he's another name that does seem, you know, if you look at, at, at cultures and where they come from, guys like that, but I don't know enough about him. But, you know, I, I would look and say, you know, if you want to wrap it up and say, you know, not necessarily in the order, but it's certainly the, the most interesting three, four candidates, you know, putting Jay Wright up there, but not, re- you know, realizing that's probably one phone call and that's the end of the discussion would be, you know, uh, Jeff Van Gundy, uh, Mark Jackson, and David Blatt. And, uh, and if I had to put my money down someplace, um, I would probably put it on David Blatt. Uh, actually, there's one other person who I don't want to hear about is Jerry Stackhouse, which, by the way, we are hearing about. So I don't, I don't get that. I don't understand how a team that has taken a shot at people who've never coached in the NBA before would actually 
consider doing that again. So uh, I'm not a betting man, but if I if I was, I would go I would go Vlad uh, uh, Van Gundy, Mark Jackson with Fisdale on the outside, and Steve Clifford. Uh, the problem is there's so many openings. I may get a call to coach one of these teams at this point. Yeah, no, um, you gotta have your phone on. Have your phone on while you're hitting that golf ball because I'm sure. Uh, they, I'm sure it will, it will I, ring. Don't they know that I won the 14-year-old AAU championship with your four guests from last week, Tim Thomas and uh, the two Maccabees yeah. <laughs> gold medal? Uh, uh, the Maccabi stuff might go a long way with Blatt. Um, but I'm not sure the teams want to run the one three one anymore in the league today. All right. I hear you, right? I hear you. <laughs> Thanks for coming on, Dad. Enjoyed it very much. Hit the ball well out there this weekend and uh and have a little fun. Appreciate it. All right. Speak to you soon, right? Take care. That's uh Papa Berger, Ron Berger, talking Knicks basketball and the coaching search. Follow him on Twitter. Really interesting follow at Ron Berger 14. That's B-E-R-G-E-R 14. So thanks for spending a couple minutes of your weekend with the podcast. And uh, and now we're uh, delighted to bring on the mouth of the South, Joe Schwartz, who will touch on what's going on down in Florida as well as Philadelphia. I uh, wanted to give him enough time to finish his dessert. Uh, over at uh, Prime 112 before he came on and talked a lot about his Sixers and all everything going on in the world of uh, Philadelphia. Joe, welcome back to the show. Hey, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Uh, really put me to sleep with all that New York Knicks basketball talk. I tell you, maybe in two or three years they'll be significant again, you know? Yeah, you know the feeling. You know, what I mean? trust the process. You, you're very familiar with the process. You guys spent four <laughs> years in the worst worst team in sports, and as you can see, what happened, it, 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 it helped you out in a big way. So whether the Knicks try to replicate that or not, I'm, you know, you're very familiar with that, you know, process that yourself. But you know, wanted to make sure you had enough time to finish your bananas fosters over at uh prime one twelve, but didn't want to get into your you know nightlife activity and make sure that you get to uh story or uh some of the other clubs on time tonight joe uh welcome back uh I know it's been a good couple of months for you down there in Boca Raton watching your philadelphia seventy sixers on the league pass uh sixteen in a row, obviously way ahead of schedule. Uh, the East is wide open. You heard Oliver earlier talking and predicting that Cleveland will go down, which takes the East from wide open to completely wide open. You know, your thoughts on sort of what's the take – us, take us through sort of the temperature of the Philadelphia fan today. I know you're giddy. I know you're ecstatic. I'm sure you're a little nervous, butterflies as well. Take us through kind of how you're feeling today. Well, I'll tell you what, Rye, it's been, a, it's been a long time coming, but Philadelphia is finally the epicenter of the sports right now, and I know you can agree with that. The Eagles are the Super Bowl champions. Villanova just won the NCAA's first-time uh, Super Bowl champion and a college NCAA champion from the same city. It's very exciting. The Sixers are the hottest ticket in town. You know, uh, the – the Wells Fargo Center is packed every night. All these teams, all these other coaches are saying how 
difficult it is to play in the building. I mean, boy, it is a rejuvenation in Philadelphia right now. I'll tell you what. And you know what? Deservedly so, because Philadelphia is a great city, a great sports town, and the city kind of rides along with the sports. You know, I know you're very familiar with that, being a New Yorker and, and this and that, but, boy, is it a hot, hot place to be in Philadelphia right now, Danny. And, you know, the Sixers, you know, you know I don't want to disagree too much with the knowledgeable Oliver, uh, your first, first caller, but, uh, you know, the Sixers, uh, they're right where they want to be. The East is wide open, as you said. You know, um, you know they match up against the Heat in the first round. It's going to be a tough, tough battle. Uh, I don't really believe Embiid. You know, he's going to miss game one. I understand that. I'd be shocked if he misses more than one game. If they lose game one, there's no doubt in my mind Embiid plays game two. If they win game one, I could see them maybe sitting in Embiid for game two just to give him a little bit more rest. But this guy, Embiid, is a tough – he's as tough as they come. He wants to be out there. He's been, he's been calling for the playoffs all year. The process, you know, it's come to fruition. This is where it is. He's ready to go. The team's been playing great 16 in a row, as you said. I'd be shocked if Embiid misses more than one game. Uh and, you know, I think the Sixers have a, a really good opportunity here. You know, they, they got the Heat. Spolstra, as it's been said before, is, a, is an unbelievable coach. They'll be very well prepared. They like to play, you know, tough D with, uh, you know, James Johnson or, you know, Winslow on Simmons. They'll, they'll probably, pretty, probably get them pretty physical. But, you know, I think the Sixers – uh, should be able to move on past Miami. You know, they're, they're, they're hot right now. They're playing a, a, a fantastic paced game. Um, you know, and then, like you said, the East is wide open, right? The East is wide open. I don't think Cleveland's going down in the first round. Uh, I do think it's got a very good chance of being Cleveland, Philadelphia, in the Eastern Conference Finals. I think a lot of people want that, and I think that's what's going to happen, and I can't wait for it. It should be an interesting couple months. We're talking to the mouth of the South, Joe Schwartz, down there in Boca Raton as he gets ready with his T.J. McConnell jersey for game one of the Sixers and Miami Heat tomorrow night, 8 o'clock, which will clearly run into his uh, his dinner plans down there on South Beach, but I'm sure uh, that won't be a problem on Saturday night. You know, it's been an interesting year. You know, Simmons clearly is a big-time, big-time player. Um, They've added a number of players around Embiid and Simmons who can really shoot the ball, some really good free agent pickups. But this team is built for the long term. They have another very high draft pick. Um, They they are young. They're going to be built for a long time. They're a little bit ahead of schedule. Well, I know you'd be crushed if they lost in the first round, and they would be kind of upset as well, knowing that the East is wide open. You know, this is a team that's built for the long term, and you know, no one really knows the situation with with Embiid and how how banged up he he is. We've seen people go through the same thing and take months to come back double vision issues with playing with with masks and and whatnot. Um, you know, the long-term vision of this team, how hard is it to balance that from having an opportunity to potentially get to the Eastern Conference or the finals? 
Well, I think you, I think you're absolutely right, right? This is, we are way into, I would say the bonus and nobody expected this 52 games, 52 wins this year, you know, two years replaced from, from 10 wins. Uh, I think a lot of people just were hoping to possibly get, you know, 42. That was the number in Vegas, 42, 43, you know, make the playoffs, get a little, you know, uh, a little, you know, uh, you know, some young guys, get them some experience. But like you said, you know, this is, this is year one. We're way ahead of schedule. I would be crushed, of course, if they lost in the first round with all the hype and everything that's being put on them this year. But, you know, this is all, this is all just being built for the future. Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, first time they're playing together, uh, you know, and, and, and they were fantastic. I mean, what, what, what I really love about the Sixers, and, you know, I was a little bit uh, not on the Brett Brown, but Brett, Brett Brown was, was definitely on the hot seat, in my opinion, coming in. But, you know, the Sixers led the league in rebounds this year. You know, they were third in defense. You know, they uh, – me and you talked about it. They were second only to Golden State in assists. I mean, they play the right way. They play the San Antonio way, the San Antonio Spurs way. And Brett Brown brought that, and he instilled the system. He was extremely patient. Uh, and now it's, it's paying off. These are the fruits of the labor. You know, the four years, the process, it, it, was, it was tough. It was long. But it has paid off. And, you know, would I be – I'd be upset if they lost. I wouldn't be crushed. This is just the beginning. Ben Simmons is 21. Embiid is 23. Fultz is 19. Sarge is 22. I mean, these guys are young. They're, they're built for, you know, being there five years from now. This is, this is all way earlier than any of us expected it to be. And, you know, we're just in for the ride here. If they could get us to the Eastern Conference Championship, fantastic. If they lose in the first round – hell of a season you know let's let's find out what needs to be you know built on in the off season let's see you know Simmons come with the jump shot and and you know see how these teams play them in the playoffs I think it's all just knowledge for building blocks and and the Sixers have a very very bright future Ryan I I know you would agree with that you know a a lot of this talk would LeBron come will LeBron go to Philly do do they need him you know I'm not going to sit here and say I don't want LeBron to come to Philadelphia because who doesn't want the best player in, in basketball in, you know, uh, the last 10 or 15 years to come come to their team. But, you know, the way the Sixers are building it, it's organic. The the players all love each other. I mean, another thing me and you talk about is is the, the camaraderie, the way that they're all excited for each other. Fultz gets a triple-double the other night. These guys are jumping off the bench and high-fiving them and – you know, it's it's just great to see, and you know, I think me as well as all these other Philadelphia fans are just just ecstatic with what's 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 happened and how quick the process has come to fruition. And you know, looking forward to the future of Philadelphia basketball. And I think it's very, very, you know, it's in great hands with Brett Brown and and Embiid and Simmons. I mean, Simmons is the kid is a stud. You know, people can say what they want. Donovan Mitchell should be the rookie of the year. Uh, you know, obviously I disagree with that. But if you asked the 30 coaches in the league and the 30 GMs in the league who they would take between Ben Simmons and Donovan Mitchell, I think 30 – well, the 29 out of 30, maybe the Utah guys would take Mitchell. But everybody else would take Simmons. And the kid just has a bright, bright future. It's going to be an absolute stud in the league. And, and I, I'm excited. I can't wait for it, right? Can't wait for it. But- 
We're talking to our Philadelphia expert, the mouth of the South, Joe Schwartz. You could follow Joe on Twitter at JoeyBlack26. Really fun follow. Clearly a big Philly fan, hoops fan. And, you know, a couple more things, Joe, before we let you go and uh, enjoy your Friday night down there in, in South Beach. Joe, what is the feeling of the Philadelphia crowd, you know, your the, the, the big Philly fans, the, the JA, the Jeff A, the Sixer fans out there that are running around Margate on this warm weekend, you know, running all over the boardwalk as they open up the uh the spots, you know, running all over Cherry Hill at Vito's Pizza and whatnot. Are these people excited for this weekend as, hey, we're going to win the championship? Or do these people get kind of what you're saying, which is, hey, we're playing with house money. We win, amazing, we lose, we're set for the next couple of years. I mean, there's a, a group of fans that just came off of two championships. Are they expecting a third? Well, I think the vibe of the city is, is that, uh, honestly, it's at a peak for 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 sports right now. I mean, I haven't seen the city this fun to walk around with. You know, Philadelphia, blue-collar city, city of brotherly love. You walk down the street, it's hey, and, you know, it's, it's go F yourself. But these days it's high-fiving each other, you know, uh, a lot of Philadelphia pride, a lot of, a lot of Sixers and Eagles jerseys, obviously Villanova jerseys. I mean, everyone's just it, – it, it's in my – you know, I don't really want to date myself here, but in my – 40 years of, of being a Philadelphia sports fan, I don't remember a time like this where everybody is just so ecstatic with the Eagles and Villanova and now the Sixers and the Phillies are, you know, young and exciting and got some nice young pieces. And, you know, the, the Flyers are in the playoffs. And, uh, you know, it, it's a great yeah, They look real good in game one. They look they looked real good in game one, losing 7 nothing. They look real Listen, good. <laughs> it's a great time to be a Philadelphia sports fan. Well, that brings me to my last question, Joe. You know, you're, you're, you grew up down in Cherry Hill. You've been Philly, you know, resident a long time. Spend your uh, a lot of time down there in South Florida. Now, this is the time to really, you know, obviously Philly is rocking. Weather is becoming, you know, really nice. You know, the team's going through this run. But you can't get out of Boca, Joe. What is it that pulls you into uh, coach house circles down there in Boca Raton? What is it that keeps you down in South Florida versus saying, hey, i got to be in Philly for this run? Uh, are you waiting for the team? Are you going to go to the games down in Miami? What is sort of your plan uh, for this spring? And, and, and what, what, is it, what is it in that, in that water down there, that, that blue water in southern Florida that keeps pulling you back down to, to Boca Raton? I tell you what, right? It's it's a paradise down here in Florida. Don't tell too many people about it. Uh, sitting on the beach today, I mean, I there wasn't a person within you know 200, 300 yards of me. I mean, I had the beach to myself. The water is 75 degrees and absolutely gorgeous. The food is fantastic. The atmosphere, the the air, the warmth, everything about it is very hard to leave South Florida. But I will be up uh in the i do travel back and forth to philadelphia with the way that the airlines uh very reasonably fare their prices these days i come back and forth quite often uh i have secured my playoff tickets for game 
three and four down here in Miami. I'm not flying to Philadelphia for game one and two. If it comes to game five, six, and seven, most likely I'll be traveling back and forth between Philadelphia and Florida. And then, you know, on to the next series, if it's Boston or if it's Milwaukee, I won't be going to Milwaukee, but uh, possibly, you know, the, the we'll see how long this playoff ride takes us. I've talked to a couple of my friends about possibly going to some away games as we get further along. I mean, obviously, if we get the chance to be Philadelphia-Cleveland in an Eastern Conference final with the you know a game six or a game seven on the line you can expect me to be in the building wherever those games are played now i got news for you right the sixers if if that's the case they're going to have home court advantage they've they've just won they're 23 and one since january 2nd uh at home they have they're 20 they, they have the second best record at home in the east these guys play great in philadelphia i'll be there if as long as they go on in the playoffs, I'll be there for sure, Ryan, for sure. I'd love to hear it. Love to hear it. Well, look, man, enjoy the run. Try not to uh, eat too many Nathan's dogs over the weekend knowing that you've got a potential long run and those Nathan's dogs can put you out of commission real fast if you have five, six, seven, uh, or even 20 of them. So try to eat light as you check out these next couple weeks. Spend some time on that uh, S lounge of yours in the backyard on that beautiful setup you've got down there in, in Boca. Thanks for coming on. We'll certainly check back in as the Sixers hopefully continue uh, this fun run for you. And uh, appreciate the time today, uh, Joey. I I appreciate it, Ryan. Thank you very much. Can I put you on the spot real quick and ask you who you have in the finals this year? It's a good question. You know, I'm actually uh, going to take a look at a bracket tonight. I, someone at my office is running a little bit of a bracket challenge, uh, so I was going to do a little fun stuff with my son tonight and see if who we can pull. But certainly, you know, I do think Miami has a real shot at, at pulling off uh, an upset here. Um, I think it's going to be a very close uh, series. Uh, I, I, it's a tough, tough business when you look at the East because, I, you know, as a basketball guy, it's so hard to pick Cleveland with the way, the way they defend, but it's also so hard to pick against, you know, James and everything that that team is done. I, I can't see them losing in the first round. Absolutely. And then they play Toronto, and, you know, Toronto – as, an, as a basketball guy, I just I hate them. I can't stand that team. Uh, it's hard to believe that they'll get to two t- through two rounds. Uh, Milwaukee's a really interesting team. They've got a lot of talent. They're really long. You know, it could be Giannis's time to have a little bit of a run. Um, you know, that 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 could be an interesting. And in the West. It's all. It's, it's this is the first year I could remember that you really scratch your head on some of these first round matchups. It's, it's very very tough to pick, and you know I, I personally don't see Golden State lo- having much problems with the Spurs. I just don't see Spurs winning in Golden State, and then if Golden State gets one in in Texas, then it's a five game series. Um, you know, and, and and can another team besides them or Houston? Give us your finals prediction. Come on, go out on a limb. I mean, you know, your yeah, followers want to know. I, I, I'm going to say I'm going to pick Golden State, and uh, go I'm going to take it, Golden right. State and Golden State and Milwaukee. Wow. <laughs> uh, the seven, I'm going to take Golden wow. State and Milwaukee. Golden I just State off the top Milwaukee. of my head, real quick. 
I just I don't like Toronto. I, I don't like Boston. I have this weird feeling that Embiid doesn't play, uh, and then and no. then that's the top three seeds, and then it's Cleveland. So even yeah. if Embiid plays, you know, he, he, it's a different thing coming out with that mask. It's just different the playoffs and faults, and it's just we'll see. It's all we'll see. It's a, it's a, it's really challenging. It's all it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, thanks for hopping on today. I really do appreciate it. Uh, use that SPF, and we'll be in touch shortly for you, buddy. Great talking to you. Thanks, Danny. Thanks. That's uh, Joe Schwartz, mouth of the South down there in uh, Boca Raton. Thanks to having, thanks to him for coming on and uh, long show today, 90-minute NBA playoff show, which was a lot of fun. Thanks to Dime Magazine and Oliver Maroney. Thanks to my dad for coming on and breaking down the Knicks coaching search and everything going on with the franchise and a little State of the Union of the Knickerbockers. And, of course, uh, our good friend and longtime Philadelphia expert Joe Schwartz on Philadelphia taking the temperature of uh, the city of brotherly love. It's been a lot of fun. Hopefully everybody enjoyed the show today and has a good weekend watching hoops. As my man Mad Dog Russo likes to say, adios. Podcast, the one that you heard about, talking sports media, buzz and the word of mouth, social is the currency, seeing what the buzz will be, talking sports and culture, you never know what'll be coming next, cause that's the type of podcast you listen to, powered by the hyper, brands, who the man, yo, Ryan at the forefront, got it on my iTunes, walking through the storefront, listen to the broadcast, he touches almost anything, sports, culture, media, technology, and marketing, so listen to the man right ahead of his time, on your podcast, you can download or listen live, so here comes comes the podcast, here comes your host, The Burger Shop, now live from coast to coast, in any way you want to do it, listen to the show, Ron got the insights, The Burger Shop, you know? Burger Shop.